This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. I experienced different ages, genders, abilities, disabilities. I think it's really important to understand what you're good at and what you're not good at. The Coaches Network bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A-licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B-licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A-licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. I have the pleasure today to be joined by a person who, as a player, uh, had 66 caps as well as 35 goals for England, all from midfield, uh, has a manager, had a 15-year tenure as the England women's national team manager, as well as current role being at Brian and Hove Albion as the first team women's manager here. Hope Powell OBE. Thank you for joining us today, Hope. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, we're just going to get straight into it. Um, how did your coaching journey start? Um, I, I think the reason I, I decided to coach um, many years ago was... Um, I wanted to be a professional footballer. I knew that wasn't an option. So I thought I would go down the coaching route. Um, Hence, I started to do local coaching. Um, I then ended up working for Crystal Palace Football in the community. I did a stint abroad, um, got qualified along the way, um, coached local teams, boys teams, girls team. And then I, I just, you know, went on that coaching journey, I guess. And um, I couldn't help but notice um, when we're doing our research about this that you started whilst you were on playing still at the age yeah, of Yeah, I started coaching at, I think it was 17. Um, I was still a player. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to, to, to get some really good advice and some, some minimal experience, but some experience uh, when I was at Millwall. Um, the, the, my then coach was really... Um, helpful in me you know understanding what coaching meant and giving me an opportunity to have a go um, and that's where it all started really and um when i speak to a lot of uh, like coaches that do start 
uh, from such a young age and they're, they're still playing, they do tend to say that like it did help them as a player to kind of see the game a bit different. Like, how did it help um, help your game, especially being in midfield there? Did it help with you seeing a bit more of the bigger picture? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it gives you an appreciation of, of what the coach is asking you to do and then you kind of understand it um, better. It, it, it allowed me to see pictures earlier and, you know, allowed me to make those decisions quicker. Um, and it really helped my overall understanding of, of how the game could and should be played. Um, so to do the two alongside each other, I think benefited me as a player, but then going forward, it really helped me as a coach because you get the perspective and the eye from, from both angles, if you like, from both lenses. Um, so it helped me in, in, in both roles actually. And um, I couldn't help uh, but see that I could, upon my research that you also studied a degree in sports science and history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll just uh, gauge your timeline a bit. Like, what? Uh, how old were you at that point uh, when you've done that? Um, God, it's a long time ago now. Oh, it was yesterday. But... Yeah, I, I just got to work back. So I, I think I took a year out. I think I must be nineteen. Oh, okay. Twenty, something like that. Eight, yeah, twenty. Um, oh, so you essentially kind of like doing your coaching qualifications whilst doing that as I'll well. Find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you find that? Like balancing the time up. Well, it, I mean. It, Back then, it's very different to, to to how it is now. I think it it was the prelim. It was the level. Two. I did my I, think I did my level one when I was whatever it it would be called the level one now. I think I did that when I was seventeen. Mm. My first coaching qualification was when I was seventeen. I got my B license. I think when I was nineteen, and it's very different to how it is now. I think I did it during the summer for for a week or two weeks and it was done and dusted. Now you have to, it, it's a lot lengthier. Um, so it wasn't too difficult to balance the two. Today, you know, probably a little bit more challenging, but arguably a better course. I think you 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 learn more in today's courses com compared to then. So to balance the two, it wasn't too onerous um, and allowed me to do it in the summer months anyway. So, yeah, the, the, the balancing wasn't too challenging. Okay. And I just wanted to just delve a bit, a bit more into it just to get your opinion on, like, the, the comparison of, like, you know, the old format and the new format. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, whatever way people see it, I was able to do the old format, the B, and then the new format, the A. So, like, I, I was able to see that difference as well. And I know that it's changed, it's changed quite a bit, like, where people argue that now, um, yeah, it's a lot more holistic, but, like, there's less sort of technical, tactical detail on it. But um, yeah. what's your opinions on the changes there? Um, I think from the, the theoretical side first, if I address that, I think that's more in-depth. I think you, you, you learn a lot more about the player, about yourself, um, and and... and you know how how you cope as a coach i think that's really good um gives you better insight today on the pitch i'm i'm a detail coach so the the technical detail back when i did it i actually prefer mm -hmm. um you know having been a, a coach educator for the pfa traveled extensively with with ua from fifa i've always liked the detail um and i align it to you know I, I, 
as a player, I wanted that detail. It's like doing a, a, I don't know, a mathematical equation. If I don't have the detail, I don't know how to solve the problem. Um, So I'm a detail coach. I like to strip it back, but then it's the appropriateness of doing that and how often you do that. And I understand, you know, the little bit more of the holistic bit. So there is a balance, I think, between the two. Um, but definitely the detail for me is, is really important. Yeah, agreed. Um, just for, you know, can you give like a little bit of advice for like, you know, coaches uh, that are looking to seek that detail that just may be taking that new format? Like what, what sort of ways would you recommend for them to kind of like, you know, expand their sort of technical and tactical knowledge, let's say? Um, I, I think watching, I think watching games, I think, you, you know, setting yourself perhaps a task around individual players and, and the detail of movement, the detail of how they cross, the detail of, you know, body shape. I think that's a really good exercise, just trying to strip it back for yourself. Um, you know, observe other coaches, perhaps challenge on 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 the things that 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 you're seeing um and then you might be able to elaborate a bit more on the detail Uh, and just you know in your own coaching you know perhaps pick a theme um and strip that detail back and try and introduce it into your coaching but but the easiest way is, is is to perhaps watch and pick you know watch and strip something back and then you 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 very you very quickly, you know, almost train your eye, you know, they're crossing on the run. What's the breakdown of that? What does that look like if you do it step by step? Um, and then you can really sort of accumulate that detail from just watching and maybe write those points down. Very good advice there. Um, I just want to harken back uh, to your timeline now. Mm. Um, your time at England, uh, you were the first uh, full-time national coach uh, for the England women's uh, mm-hmm. team. Um, you led them to, you know, fantastic sort of like international success where you were able to get them to the quarterfinals of the 2005 European Championships as well as bring them to the finals of the 2009 one. Just that last one, that last step there. Mm. But, and you, this was all over a year of 15 years Mm. Um, can you just tell us a bit, a bit about your time like how did you find that because I can imagine over that time the women's game did the women's game in, the, um, in England did change quite a lot and it was all thanks to you really pushing it from the top yeah I mean, I mean when, when I first obviously I was a player so it gave me great insight into uh, international environment I, I, I ran with the bits that I liked I changed the bits I didn't like um we, we, we didn't have the resources that are clearly there now. We had a very small team and we, we just tried to prioritise, or certainly I tried to prioritise what I thought was important. And, and, you know, basically I had a short, mid and long-term plan um, that, that was always a long journey. And we knew we, we you know, tried to put the building uh, blocks in place, create a really good foundation. Um, bit of succession planning went into that but really just just looked at what what have we got where do we want to be and just try to really it's as simple as that try to build on that and that was you know and every every year every tournament every opportunity we, we just added to it 
and, and you know and built on it um you know and and you know now i think they've got a really really good foundation to work from and i think they've built on that even further mm. um and the investment and the resources in that, that's now being put into the women's game certainly at the international level has, has helped push push it on even further yeah and like like you said you you built you built these um foundations uh for them to do so but I can I can imagine um, when you were initially starting there was a uh, there was a lot of uh, things that may have been happening in the setup that may have not been up to the standards. So how did you manage that, those sort of limitations in terms of like potential lack of support um, from in terms of finance or multidisciplinary stuff, etc. Well, it, it was just about the, the the challenges of making sure we we got the support. Um, you know, questioning um you know getting allies um you know putting a plan together this is what we what what we need this is how long it's going to take this this could be the financial implications on the fa if we don't do it this is going to be a problem so it, it was just a case of working with people working with decision makers um convincing them that you know perhaps this is what we need this is what we don't need um and continuing to ask ask the questions you know i always went back when i got something i always went back for something else mm -hmm. um and and you know trying to tell the story of the women's game trying to get people the decision makers to embrace it um and slowly we we you know certainly i chipped away every day was was a challenge every day i felt like it was a it was a fight it's not always a bad fight some fights i won some i didn't um and obviously had to choose those moments choose the battles you know um pay more attention in the areas where i thought i could get quick gains and pay perhaps maneuver myself in a different way when i when i thought it was going to be a, a, a bigger challenge but i just kept on because i believed in what we were trying to do and i think that really helped me and and you know gave me the drive to continue to do it as long as i possibly could and that's what i did mm. and um just just on that like um that sort of const, uh, constant sort of resilience that you have to have and whatnot like what necessarily kept you like motivated in, in that period there where like you know there's a lot you, you may have got a lot of notes on to your questions and stuff like this and a lot of people doubting it but like obviously your success did show after but like before that there was a process that you had to go through where you had to kind of challenge the the norms of that time uh, how did you like motivate yourself every day just to kind of do that I think in all honesty, it was the fear of failure. Mm. My driver, I, 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 I really felt I, this is, I can't fail this. I, I cannot because um, for myself, but for everything that comes after, you, you know, I cannot fail. It was a real, it was a real driver for me. Just mm. not wanting to fail made me, you know, it, and you know, I, I, I sit here and I look back and I don't know how I did it for so long. I really, I just like, oh my God, you know, God, how did I manage to do that and sustain that, that, that level for so long? Um, but it, it, and, and, you know, the fact that I enjoyed it and I wanted to make change, but it was really the, the, I don't want to foul, you know, I cannot, this is, there's no compromise here. And that really, that really drove me. And I had some good people around me that really encouraged me and believed in me. And that was a, a, a massive help. Um, but really, my, my driver was not to fail. And, um, yeah, go on, yes. Yeah, hey, I'm sorry. 
the delay there. Um, I've had a bit of an issue with my little one, but um, Are you okay? Yeah, all good. Yeah, just putting into bed. He's just he's teething at the moment. Okay. <laughs> um, so just touching on the obviously your time with England there. Did you ever get to a point where maybe you felt like you might need a bit of break? Because you know if you're there for quite a period of time, um, it's not common that you get coaches and particularly managers of a team there for that period of time, especially not nowadays. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the the difference. It was really. It, I loved it. I loved. Um, you know, the role that I did, I loved the people that I worked with. I loved it for 15 years, bar five minutes, and I got fired. That was that was the real low point um, of that of that journey. Most of the time it was great. There were challenges. It was hard work. I was frustrated. I had all those things. But overall, I really enjoyed it. And, and that was, you know, largely down to the players and, and, and the team that I worked with. Um, I, I think after the 2009, when we got to the final... Um, of the European Championships was a time where I really I was absolutely knackered and a, a point where you know I would would have happily stepped stepped down, um, but I wanted to stay within the FA and I, I think at that point there was no I felt like maybe there was I should have asked the question I felt like that would have been a really an opportunity to step down and do something else. Um, yeah, and, and I didn't, and, and then you, you go on and it's the next tournament. Um, but I was really tired. I think I, 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 I wanted at that point to stop because I was tired. I was, you know, I was responsible for all, all teams. Um, I travelled. Every, every year I was in a tournament. Mm. Not sure any other coach on the planet had ever done that um, with all the squads because I wanted to support the staff and I wanted to support the players. Um, some might say that's you know micromanagement, but it wasn't. It was I wanted to to share my knowledge and experience with the coaches that were in place then, and they needed that. Um, but at that point, two thousand and nine was was I'm, I'm really tired. I could do with you know even if I had six off, that would have been great. But then you just yeah. go again and you find the energy again, and you know. Just yeah. on that, you touched there on you know maybe wanting to maybe go into something different, yeah. and obviously. Uh, even you know being not not many coaches that you know go on tournaments each year but you know there's also, there's also something else that you achieved quite um prestigiously in your career and obviously that was becoming the first female coach to get you a pro license what was that like uh yeah it was to be honest i didn't want to do it um i was you know that fear and anxiety around going in that environment all men you know god do i have to do this and you know i'm, I'm really pleased i did i i challenged Howard Wilkinson on it he told me I you know putting you on the pro license hope I'm like right why you know because it'd be good well I don't want to and he just said to me well I'm telling you you have to and I was like okay you know um, and I'm really pleased he he did that it was a great experience I worked with uh, some great people some great coaches and, and more importantly learnt a lot um, so really thankful now that, that, you know, looking back, I did that and I went through that process because it is a lot harder to get today than it was back then. The demands of it, are, uh, there's a lot more work around it. So I'm really pleased I did it when I did. Right. And obviously, you know, the pro license is much more catered around the management side of things and obviously yeah. the operational side of things. What would you say were the biggest takeaways that you took away from that having already had a few years working in management at that time? Um... I think there were lots, you, you know, how you manage, you know, the Maverick player, how you, 
and it, it was geared a lot around, around the men's game, you know, how you manage a multi-million millionaire. Um, I think one of the really good things was the media, how you manage yourself in front of the media and, and, and the pitfalls of that sometimes. Um, so those, those are the real key takeaway things I thought could, could, could really help me. Um, and, and really it, it, it was also what I really liked was working, um, you know, you had to work as a team, you know, I think we had a team of four coaches and just experienced different opinions and views around the game. And certainly they were all coming from the male perspective and I was coming from the female perspective and what you could perhaps take from the male and what they could take for the, from the female perspective. So it was lots of learning and I know the course has developed so much more since then, but a real credible course and with credible people when, when I did it, certainly Howard Wilkinson and Les, Les Reed were the directors of the course um, and, and their experiences they shared and, and you know, as, as a student of the course, I really learned a lot from them. Brilliant. You touched on, you know, just a little bit there about maybe wanting to do something slightly different at a certain point in your career. Um, now, albeit a brief period, you actually spent a bit of time after leaving the England role and before coming to Brighton, obviously, with the PFA in a coach education capacity, didn't you? Yeah, well, I, I, before I, went, I did a lot of stuff with UEFA FIFA in, in coach education and, yeah. you know, trying to, you know, support other female coaches, male coaches in the game. Um, and obviously a stint at the, the PFA coach education again. Um, I, I'm a real believer in sharing and helping others. Um, yeah, so so that that was different. Um, uh, to be honest, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I was really pulled between leaving the PFA and going to Brighton. Um, but I, I think I, you know, I'm not not just a coach at Brighton. I feel the role I have the same role I had with 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 the FA but not on a national level. You know, I'm responsible for the whole structure. I kind of like have a technical director feel is what I felt I was doing at the FA actually is, is feels like pretty much is it's what I'm doing at Brighton. Brilliant. And just to, you know, to touch on there, Brighton, you talked there about some of the biggest differences that you've maybe come to find between the difference between managing the national side and obviously that managing a club now yeah, I, I, I think when I first went to Brighton, obviously the first club, you know, the first club role, um, it, I felt like I was in a tournament. It was relentless. I felt like I was in this constant tournament because the games came once a week, sometimes twice a week, and then there was another week and another training every day. I think, you know, whereas internationally, you might be in a major tournament for six weeks, you can see the end. You know, and you can plan quite, you know, you get out of the group, you've got this, you've got this much time in between, you've got, you know, you get to the semis, you've got this, you get to the finals, you've got, if you don't get to the semis, you're out, you go home and you get a little bit of downtime and you're planning for the next tournament. Club football, it's, you play the game on Sunday, you're preparing for a Wednesday game, you're preparing for the Sunday game, or it might be, you know, seven days the the break might be you know the international break but you're still preparing for when everybody comes back you know and you're preparing and you're managing a game you're managing yourself you're managing the start it is relentless and that I really had to oh my god do, do I get a break here um but but you know obviously you adjust and you know even in the 
you know the summer months when it's your off period there is no off period because you are then planning for the new season new players releasing players it is relentless um and then you quickly adapt and you know it's really good fun actually i quite like it just you know just to kind of go deep, deep on your role at brighton you talked there about me assuming a bit more of a technical director feel for the role that you actually got mm. um and actually having a bit more of a oversight of everything that's happening at the club especially in the women's side of things anyway just talk can you just talk us through the pathway of the rtcs and how that links into the first team there um yeah so so it's pretty similar to what you know what i did at the fa and you know you got the under you know kind of put in place the under youth under 15s and that pathway so that they all get to the to the first team i did did that with um, england and now i'm doing it at brighton where our under 10s they come in our rtc at under 10s under 12 then go to under 12s under 14s under 16s the academy and then hopefully the the first team so just trying to make sure that there's a clear pathway, a clear philosophy. All the all the coaches are, you know, giving the same messages. We're trying to talent ID players that you know we think can fit our culture, that can work in our environment, and more importantly, players that we think we can develop to to reach the first team. Um, I'm a believer in homegrown talent. That the owner believes in homegrown talent. You know, we invest a lot of time and money in young players, so. We really want to try and get them to be number one, good people, number two, first team players. But if not, you know, give them the opportunity to go and play elsewhere and enjoy their football. More importantly, keep them in the game. Yeah, and I think um, what I'm finding now, especially in this uh, day and age, is that that's probably the sort of most sustainable model for clubs as well. Um, to provide. Yeah, I think certainly, you know, we look at the, the men's game and, you know, some of the Brentford, you know, disbanded their academy, made no sense, expensive. I think someone else, I can't remember what club, have also just done it. Um, Huddersfield? Was it Huddersfield? I can't remember. Was it? Okay. Yeah. But, I, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, we're investing all this time and money. Well, if you don't look at your hopping talent, what what's the point? Mm. You know, what's the point of, of having an academy or an RTC? Um, so we're, we're really trying to do some work with coaches, better coaches, better players, better players, better chance of, of coming through our system and, and doing well at Brighton. And I guess some um, part of that would be a kind of um, translating your sort of uh, coaching philosophy onto the coaches that are like, you know, working in the youth sector. So... It, just in regards to that, what would you say is like the fundamentals of your own coaching philosophy? Um, I have to, it, it, yeah, this, this word philosophy is, is quite broad, isn't it? Um, I like to think of it as non-negotiables, but um, you can think of what, like non-negotiables. Yeah, in terms of players, yeah, what, yeah I, I think for me, one of the big things in, at the moment that I'm really working on are those brilliant basics. You know, ball manipulation, you know, players have got to be able to manage the ball um, and, and you know, be at one with the ball. And I don't, you know, certainly when I first went to the clubs, I think those basic ball manipulation skills just weren't there enough for me. So one of the things I will not compromise on is those brilliant basics. It's got to form part of 
the philosophy every day, every session, somewhere it's got to be in there where they, they get those touches on the ball and they're comfortable with it and they're prepared to take risks um, and prepared to have a go. But you've got to be comfortable with the ball at your feet. Mm. Brilliant yeah. basics for me. I, I can agree with you on that aspect there. And um, just like in regards to that, what do you feel then like kind of uh, makes uh, Brighton's uh, Women's Academy on RTC um, so unique in comparison to that others? Um, is it unique? I, d I don't honestly know. I don't, you, you know, I know some people that work in the academy. I, d I, I don't know that it's unique. I think what we're trying to do is, is create an environment where players um, and coaches are comfortable. Um, we want to develop the coaches and the players. We want to really set uh, an environment where players and, co and coaches are challenged on a weekly, weekly basis. Um, and they uh, aspire to be the very best they can be. If they don't have the challenges, then they're never going to appreciate how far they can go as coaches, as people and as players. So it's really important that we, we challenge the players, we get them out of their comfort zones, we get the coaches out of their comfort zones in order to push them on. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure most academies will, will do that as a starting point for sure. Yeah, and I guess it's um it's kind of like the keyword that you use there in terms of environment as far as the environment is kind of set right, like the the byproduct should be hopefully the excellence and success that comes with it. Yeah, you know, we, we want you know, a, a an environment where, where players are happy to express themselves. There's no fear of failure. We want them to take risks, we want the coaches to you know, not be afraid of failing. We're there to support. Um, you know, we want to, to, to them to take risks because we want to raise standards. Um, mm. If we don't challenge, we, the standards will never be raised. And, and that's what we're working on at the moment. And um, you kind of touched on it a bit when uh, you were talking about uh, your coaching philosophy, but what would you say is like your biggest bugbear when it comes to coaching? Um... Yeah, I'd, um, so you can say a long list if you want. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I, I think that's a real, maybe this is just me. I don't know. Um, I find these sort of questions really challenging, actually, because I never know. I, I'm not sure there's ever a real answer, because I think as a coach, you have to appreciate that your role is to help others develop. Um and more often than not, what, what, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to get players to do, how you're trying to help them, you probably have to say the, the same thing a thousand times. I know I've done it all my career, said so the same thing a million times over and still the same things are happening. And I think that's part of coaching. I, I don't, but what really, I, think, I guess what you're saying is what really winds me up. Yeah. As a well, off the, it's when it's cold. That's the only thing I can, you know. When I'm freezing cold, and I, I, I do, you know, I know this isn't answering the question, but this is as good as it gets. It's an awful isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I really don't like the cold, but yet I work outside. Just it, it's, it's to know why on earth have I chosen this line of work? Well, a better way to maybe rephrase the question would be, is there anything that you see commonly amongst coaches or you have seen in your, in your experience that maybe 
when you do see it, it kind of frustrates you a little bit. Frustrates me. Um, I think coaches were all guilty of talking too much. That really winds me up. Um, you know, and it becomes more about what I'm saying and less about what you're asking the players to do. You know, I'm forever saying to coaches, stop talking, let them have a go. Just let them have a go. You know, I'm guilty of it myself sometimes, you know, but uh, certainly with kids, you know, when, when you're working with the first team and you're trying to do a strategy, they have to understand where you want to play for a reason because this is what you're going to come up against. Um, when, when you're working with uh, kids and the coaches, you know, we just talk too much. Keep it simple and let them have a go. So, yes, that is my bugbear. Well done. Well done. Yeah. So that's it. That's it. Yeah, I think we managed to get out. <laughs> and um, like, as I can imagine, you have achieved um, so much in your career and you've kind of had to, um, you know, break the, uh, the borders and the boundaries down that I can imagine you faced a lot of challenges. But what would you say... Is your has been your biggest challenge in your coaching journey, and how have you dealt with it? Uh, yeah, I get get asked this a lot. I I, I so you know in terms of coaching, um, I, I think some of the challenges have been when I've tried to get myself qualified when I've been on courses and it's ninety nine percent men and you know you're not listened to or you're ignored or. The expectation is that you're a female and you don't know what 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 you're talking about um you know going on the course is challenging in itself because you know you're going to be in the minority being female and being black generally um so so those have been challenges along the way every course i've ever been on my a license my pro license always been the same i i, I think how how did i overcome it i i just you know with belief in my ability I'm not saying I wasn't scared. I'm not saying I wasn't frightened. I'm not saying it wasn't challenging. I had all those fears and anxieties that we all have. Um, but I was prepared to face them head on and, and, and have a go and not, and, and believe what, what really helped me with that was I knew I could play the game. You know, I knew I understood the game and I knew if challenged around the game, I could answer. Um, but always the courses have been the most challenging just just on that you know, to take you back a little bit there you touched on a little bit but obviously being a female coach but female black coach and that uh, or better yet a female coach that it happens to be black yeah. um, and we've recently spoken to a lot of uh, you know a lot of coaches from the black community in particular you know, with likes of Chris Ramsey and uh, just, to, you know, just to name one but and Chris actually touched on it coming through at the FA, you know, when he was a regional coach, uh, development manager. Obviously, you, you, were, you were at the FA at that time as well. Um, and there was a real, there was a real segregation to an extent. It was almost like a, it, it was an un, unspoken bias, but it was there. What would you say uh, is, you know, maybe some advice that you can give to some of the younger uh, black coaches in particular, um, or any ethnic coaches and females, obviously, as well? that may be facing similar challenges and maybe how to maybe navigate, especially obviously going through this, um, this, this time frame at this, at this moment in time, obviously the Black Lives Matter movement and, and, and such, where there's a lot of light being shed on it at this moment in time. Have you got any advice for coaches maybe going through that? Um, I, I, I think the only way I, I can only think about myself and what, what I did, um, you, you know, 
I, I, you know, I know you see me as black. I don't have a problem with it. And I am not going to, um, what you, your perceptions of me are, deter me from doing the best I can do and, and being polite, who, being who I am, which is a nice person, hardworking, and just try and get on with everybody. I'm not going to let your perceptions of me stop me. Because that could, so, you know, a woman, you know, as a woman, the, the perceptions of women, the courses that I've been on certainly is that, you know, you're a woman, what do you know? I know that, but I'm not going to let that stop me being the best I can and, and showing my worth and showing my skill set and showing my talent. I'm not going to, and I just refused. So I ignored it. I know I'm black. I don't need you to tell me I'm black. I know I'm a woman. I don't need you to tell me that. So I just focused on the task. Just focus on what it is you're striving for. You know, you know what's going on. Just focus on that. And that's what I did. Yeah, I think um, that's quite commendable of you, like in, in that sense there, because uh, people always like to say that it's, it's like it's racism in football and stuff like that, but football is just a reflection of society itself. And I guess in, in that sense there that you always have to, well, when you are the minority, you always have a point to prove sort of thing. Um, I mean, in that sense, I'll commend you for it. And mm. just, uh, just touching a bit more, like how, how was it in the courses? Because you've already like started touching it as well. Like what were the interactions like that kind of deterred you a bit from it? So say that bit again. What? How were like the interactions like on the courses? Like, um, was did, did you feel did you feel like they were kind of communicating with you a bit differently? Um, so? um yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I felt that was more that it it was the woman bit as well, the gentleman and the swearing that you know. And I always have to say, listen, I can swear as much as as the next person. It you know, it's not a problem. And the you know, oh, there's a lady in the room. It used to wind me up. You know that, but I respect the fact that people are trying to be respectful, which in one respect I liked, but in another, another respect I didn't because you almost felt excluded. Well, you were because you were a woman, you know, they can't speak in, in the way they want to speak in football because you're a woman. So that was, there was always that. Um, but, but that being said, I think, um, it, it was, you know, it's it, it's like the material on courses. Everything was focused on on you know pictures and images of men. They were always white pictures of what you know. It was that, and you know, so I had to get my head around that and go right. It is what it is. You know, challenge it where you can in a respectful way. You know, are we gonna any? Excuse me, are there any pictures of women up there? You know, and do the respectful thing, but don't let it deter you. Don't let all those things that you know are going on around you deter you from your goal because those things are still going to go on around you. And if you're side, if you're hijacked by that, you're going to lose your focus to be the very best you can in what you want to achieve. And um, yeah, just like, yes, I said a bit earlier, like just to reiterate, you are a coach who just happens to be a black female, not a black female coach. And um, just in regards to that, you got awarded, uh, you know, with an OBE and a CBE in, uh, in terms of your work in football. And 
I, I'm, I'm going to meet like a handful of people in my life that have such an achievement. So like, how was that? Like, how did you get the message in that sense? Um, yeah, so it's all very, very secretive. You, you, you know, you get a letter and, you know, don't share this with anybody and, you know, what's this? And then you realise what it is and you, you do share it with people because you want your family to know that this wonderful thing, should you choose to accept it as, as happened, um, you know, so a very special honour. And I, I felt it wasn't just for me, it was a reward for everybody that I'd worked with, all the people that have been on the journey with me, all those that were passionate about women's football and helped me. And I, and I took it on behalf of myself and on behalf of them. Um, and certainly my mentor who, you know, was my coach at 11 and has been with me all through my coaching careers, worked for me, still with me now. I actually took him to, you, you know, you can bring, invite people to see you awarded um, with your OBECB and I took him along as a way of saying thank you. So I really accepted it as, you know, great recognition for women's football, not just me, but for everybody involved at that time that worked with me. So it was a great honour, I must say, both of them a great honour. I'm very privileged. Brilliant. You just touched on there about, you know, having a mentor. Um, mm-hmm it would be great to know who that mentor is and maybe what some of the key things you've really taken from him yeah, um, yeah he loves this bit because always when I'm doing these things I always tell him I've mentioned his name I mean he loves it uh his name's Alan May he coached me when I was um 11 he, his experiences were coaching uh, male and female men and women but he was actually a manager quite a senior manager at BT since retired but a very very senior role um and he and not only did he help me with my coaching but he helped me in terms of managing people and you know I, I was put into this role of managing the England team and suddenly you have all this responsibility um about managing a group of people managing a group of players and managing a group of staff um and and he really gave me some insight as to how you manage groups of people and how you work and how you get the best out of people and and what you know perhaps the things you should or could do and perhaps the things you really need not to do uh, to take people on this journey um so he really helped me with that he helped me with when it came to going on courses giving me the confidence and the belief and you know that focus you know all of this stuff is going on around you but you got you know look at the end goal you know don't be sidetracked by this other stuff yeah but and and has always helped me, helps me today. You know, if I've got something I really need to talk through, you know, I know I can pick him up and pick pick the phone up, sorry. And, you know, it's just that ear, isn't it? It's just, I think just, as, just as we go through our journeys, and just not just in coaching, but in life in general, it's always good to have a bit of a soundboard, someone who's, you know, sometimes not even offering any uh, any insight themselves, but just a perspective on what, you, what you're thinking. But... Yeah. I want to kind of bring you back to that question because you didn't actually tell us any of your secrets. Secrets? What <laughs> any of any golden nuggets that he's given you? Um, I, I think you build your own nuggets along the way. Don't I? I you know, I think. Um, oh God! I wish he was here now. He could just just. <laughs> I mean, one of his big things. I mean, he'll love this. I, I actually, he was the one that called when the phone rang. I think. Um, you know he always you know when people are moaning and you know can't do this open players moan and staff moan about 
you know, one of his things was always, you know, ask them, tell me what you can do. Don't tell me what you can't do. You know, which is always, you know, tell me what you can do. Don't tell me what you can't do, which is a nugget for me because people are, you know, let's find a solution. Yeah. Think about solutions. Let's not always go on the, what's the solution to it? There's got to be another way. Tell me what you can do. And that, that is a, a little nugget for me. Definitely. I think I find myself just taking that, you know, and applying it into my own context that any time I've personally got, had a problem or someone's brought a problem to me, people are much more receptive to supporting and collaborating with you and cooperating and finding a way out of the situation. If you've, if you've done the groundwork and you might have an idea for a solution, it might not, might not work. But the fact that you've gone through the effort of trying to find an idea or a way to work it out, I think mm -hmm. just opens up and breaks down any barriers Absolutely. that they might have initially. So I think that's definitely a golden nugget. And I think, you know, yeah. we've got, we got, we got to that one in the end. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, yeah. I mean, and, and then you find the uh, your own, you know, thing. Yeah. I'm a I'm a great believer in, um, you know, making make a decision. Don't be afraid of making a decision, even if it's the wrong one. Because, you know, and this is probably another one that Alan kind of helped me really explore and understand is because at the time you make a decision, you're doing it with all the information you have, and you make yeah. a decision at that time. An hour later, it could be the worst decision in the world. But at least you made the decision based on the information you have. And never mm. be afraid of making a decision. And I am very good at making decisions. And I think as a coach, you have to be. On the sidelines, if you're in that technical area, you have to be good at making decisions. Am I going to make a substitution now? Is it the right? You have to be able at making good decisions. You have to make decisions. In a leadership role, you have to make decisions mm. based on the information you have. Yeah, and I guess that only comes from uh, practice. I guess like you, you just have to put yourself out there and then kind of reflect on the decisions that you do make and the, the actions that happen with it. Yeah, and, and I think quite often, you know, we're scared of making mistakes, aren't we? This whole fear, how am I going to be perceived? What do people think of me? You know, but you, 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 you learn sometimes from those, those mistakes. You will learn, um, you know, and, and everybody has those fears, everybody, you know, but, but you've got to make a decision. Leading on from your golden nugget, and I'll just be interested to know if you had an opportunity to go back, you know, we're talking maybe 20, 20 plus years now, um, back to your start of your coaching journey. Is there anything that you would, any messages that you'd want to give yourself at the start of that journey, knowing what you know now? These are the hardest questions ever. <laughs> um, um, you can definitely recommend us for interviews for other people then if you want. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm just not very good at answering these sort of questions. I, I always uh, think of the answer when, I'm, when it's over. Uh, uh, as an aspiring coach, I would say... Um, Coach as much as you practice, practice, you know, could I have done more practice? Yes. Although I think I did a lot. I, I would definitely, I'm thinking more about the things that I did that I think are valuable more. Yeah. I think I, I, I experienced different ages, genders, abilities, disabilities. I think it's really important to understand what you're good at and what you're not good at, yeah. you know, what your skill set is in terms of 
are you better with young players? Are you better with older players? Are you better with able-bodied or not? Are you better with elite grassroots? I think it's really important to understand what your skill set is and really run with that. Um, I would say to my young self, read more. Read more and explore um, leadership more you know learn from others who have gone before you which i i didn't do i didn't do a lot of because i, I didn't have the time but i was really i was really pleased i had a mentor who you know had those experiences and now i'm actually enjoying because i have a little bit more time which i don't really but i'm finding more time to read those those books that, that could help me you know and develop more um, so I certainly have told myself that, you know, knowledge is power, you know, power in a, in a nice sense, in a, you know, power in a, you know, upskill yourself. I definitely would have said that to my younger self. And just, just on that, you know, you talked there about knowledge is power and reading. Is there any particular reading that you've done, anything, any book that you might recommend from your experience? Yeah. You know, so I've, I've just started, I'm halfway through Legacy, um, which I'm sure most, you know, is the book of the moment. I don't know if you guys have read that. Um, I was fortunate enough to to listen to um, the author on, on, on a webinar, which is really good. I've, I've read, um, uh, what's her name? God, it's right in front of me. Uh, Cheryl, uh, is it Cheryl Sands? Cheryl, uh, lean in the books. Cheryl, I can't remember her name, but lean in. How how you you know as a female, how you sit at the table apart from away from the table. Just just some you know the mind gym. I'm looking at you know sacred hoops. I'm just starting to read all of those things that probably everybody thinks I've read. You know, someone once said, "Ah, oh, cope. You must do loads of reading." Absolutely not. No. This is all, you know, you think what, what, what you're doing is the right thing, but it's just a bit of affirmation when you, oh, yeah, I've done that, that's good. Or you might get some new nuggets because I, I don't think anybody's too, too old to learn. I'm still learning and, and I'm enjoying doing that, really enjoying reading what other people have done and, you know, how it can help me develop and, and you know, help players, help coaches move on. Fantastic. And um, like Yasser said, you've had uh, like over like 20 years now in this game uh, as a coach. Um, you've, you've been at England, uh, you've also done the Great Britain's team, and now Brighton and Hove Albion. What is exactly next for Hope Park? Retirement would be really good, I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I feel very um, privileged and blessed that, that you know, I, I, not many people get the, the, the opportunity to say I've worked in the game, you know, this long and the women's game, which I love. Um, you know, I'd, li I'd like to, you know, I'd like to come off the grass at some point. Um, you, you know, I feel like I can't do a technical director's role. Have did it at the FA. I'm not sure my perception of, of it, um, but I'm, I'm keen to explore that. Um, I know there's some courses now. I, I was planning on doing a course last year, but but I think it's quite demanding. Um, so I'm exploring that and seeing whether that's something that that uh, would appeal to me. But at some point, I will get off the grass. I think there are 
the talented female coaches in particular coming through. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I think I've got a really talented young coach at Brighton who I'm, I'm hoping is part of succession planning. She can stay. Well, Sinead's there. Amy Merricks is there. Um, you know, to, to, you know, Sinead's, you know, a bit behind on her journey compared to Amy, who is, who's, you know, got her A license, just been on the diploma course, you know, and I just want to help those, those, the next lot do well and do better than I did. And, you know, I want to be part of that until I retire, but I hope my, my journey, you know, I want to stay at Brighton as long as I can. I think it's a fantastic club. Um, I want to stay as long as they'll have me. Fantastic. Well, look, guys, there you have it. Look, it's been a fantastic discussion again today. Some brilliant insights. Uh, we managed to get some golden nuggets out of hope today. Well, <laughs> I'm sure there's lots. I just like... Yeah. <laughs> definitely. We'll, we can maybe catch up for a part two one day, but um, definitely some golden nuggets there. Plenty of insights in there, you know, for, for everyone to take away and apply there. Guys, I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. As usual, joined by my co-host, Ben, and our very special thanks to our guest, Hope Powell. Thank you again, Hope. Thanks for having um, me. Well, there you have it, guys. Another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.